Hello and welcome to Ghoulies Unflushed. This week we have an exclusive interview with Skip Carter himself, Mr. Evan McKenzie. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Evan McKenzie is on the show. Um, before we get to Evan, though, I just wanted to compliment you on the shirt that you're wearing, Paul. Where on earth did you get that? Well, actually, I got this from tpublic.com. And mm. this is official Ghoulies Unflushed merchandise. Um, so... I'm sure everyone knows our lovely logo now, which was which was designed by Corey Kaufman. Yep, yep, beautiful and it's logo. It's a beauty. Um, Thank you, Corey. It is a beauty. It is a beauty. Uh, but yeah, tpublic.com. Uh, if you search "gu toilet seat," it comes up, and as well as t-shirts, you can get tank tops, sweatshirt, a long sleeve shirt, a baseball shirt. Uh, you can get the kids t-shirts. You can even get things like phone, a phone case, laptop sleeve, magnets, uh, wall art, notebook, pillow, tote bags, pins, mugs, even a COVID mask. So there is a oh, well, ton of stuff. That. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Uh, it's also, all very reasonably priced. It is reasonably priced. And if you need to tick off mm -hmm. a good deed for the day, week or even year, um, every bit of profit we make on these items goes straight to Shriners Hospital for Children. So uh, even if you haven't done a good deed for your entire life or given to any charity, uh, now you can. So we've done shirts. Uh, let's get straight to what everyone has come here for, Paul. Uh, Evan McKenzie. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to explain how Evan is classically trained actor and uh, list all the roles he's had as well as Ghoulies Go to College because um, we cover that in the interview. But uh, I will say yeah. that Evan is a great storyteller. And an all-round charming and irreverent guy. Uh, not unlike his on-screen character, Skip. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would okay. say so. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's do this then. Uh, Evan but McKenzie. looks a lot like James Spader as well. <laughs> do you think he looks like James Spader? I can see it. I can see it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to be impressed with that. Um <laughs> Okay. I, I, I listen. I listen to a. Is it? We're not. I listened to a. Goody's review. Goody's two review today. No, no. It was a Goody's one and two review. Mm -hmm. Um, and they said that Scott Thompson was a knockoff Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer. <laughs> yeah. I don't see that. <laughs> they said right down to the glasses, and I was like, mm. <laughs> well, okay. Everyone can mm. have their opinion. <laughs> can we do this? Yeah. Evan McKenzie. Well, we didn't have that. Don't <laughs> I'm just going to press play and then that'll, it will start. It doesn't matter what you say. <laughs> Graham, when's the big book coming out? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that. Already? We, um, me so I can start cussing and everything. No, um, well, essentially, because of all this COVID business, uh, the, the wholesalers and printers that it was due to be printed at, which was about 25,000 copies, uh, went out of business. And the other printers are sort of working on such a slow part-time basis that they're struggling to get it in somewhere new. So at the moment, it's kind of a little bit of limbo until this um, whole thing passes by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're getting rid of our wanker. Hopefully you're getting rid of your, your <laughs> wanker in chief over there. <laughs> There's a few of them about. 
<laughs> yeah, well, in case you didn't know, Paul, my, my heritage is Welsh, so I will be using okay. British vernacular, well, Welsh vernacular, Brilliant. you know, <laughs> yep. occupied territories. Yep. <laughs> so I do, uh, it's a good thing I don't drink anymore because I'd start speaking Welsh and then you guys wouldn't have any, have a clue what I'm saying. Oh, do you uh, actually but speak I would. Yeah. Oh, I speak a little bit. Yeah. But. Wow. Only because my grandparents spoke of that to me when I was a child. So I was like, oh, that means shut your mouth. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been kind there. Of a lost art form now. Yeah, my family's from Swansea. Um, oh, wow. Down that way, south west. Yep. Mm-hmm. So where the winters are really, really winter. So <laughs> that's where I live now. So there we are. Oh, yeah, you recently moved, didn't you? Yeah. So you're used to the cold weather then? Yeah, well, I grew up in Ohio, Indiana, and Pennsylvania um, until I was through college. And then I went to uh, a conservatory out in Seattle, which wasn't as cold as Cleveland, Ohio, but uh, it was, you know, wet and rainy. But um, And then I went, I was in Los Angeles for a good 20 years, and then I was in Nashville for about five years. And then a year ago, I moved back up here to uh, Cleveland. Um, so I've been around. Yeah, but winters are Drew Carey country, isn't it? It's Drew Carey. It's the birthplace of rock and roll. You might have heard of that. Mm. Um, <laughs> turn the coin. The phrase was coined here. And then you guys that are into comic books, what comic book hero was created in Cleveland, Ohio? Ooh, I have no idea. Superman. Oh, was it Superman? Oh, okay. <laughs> The most obvious one. one. The most obvious one as well. <laughs> it said where were ghoulies created? You'd know that, of course, right? Yeah. The toy. In a comic book as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even I know this. Well, uh, Evan, after, after you did ghoulies, I'm kind of curious because you did, you, you know, you did um, sorry, you know, children you know, of light. No one should start cussing, Graham. What? Oh, sorry. You, are you recording this thing? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, okay, I'll start cussing. No. <laughs> Cuts <laughs> away. Let's go ahead. Did you, did you get um, offered much in the horror genre after your sort of stint with a few movies like in, in that idiom? Uh, yeah, I mean, right after Ghoulies, I did Children of the Night, mm. um, mm-hmm. which is a vampire flick um, with Karen Black and Peter DeLuise. Um, so I did that. Um and then after that, I did Scanner Cop, one of the Scanner Cop. I think it was the second one. Yeah. Did, yeah. Um, and then after that, no, I mainly I did more uh, movies of the week for like USA Network, so more murder mystery drama type stuff. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else. Um, and then you know, I I I, I did a lot of theater. I was you know. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Paul Graham knows this from an interview we did in his earlier book. Um, I, I mean, oh, I yeah. grew up in theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm classically trained. That's what I went out to Seattle to do. I went and trained in a classical conservatory, much like your, yeah. um, like RADA or Lambda or Central in London. Um, yeah. Seattle, the University of Washington had a conservatory at the time. Um, we weren't on the campus. We were down right on the water in this giant renovated boat marina that was had a theater training room, had a movement room, had a mask room, had a stage combat room, had a vocal training room. It was very much classical training the way your RSC folks are. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
And then, of course, I come out of this school after three years, which is very intense. And the first pro gig I land is with one of the premier avant-garde theater companies in the world. So it was a complete fish out of water because I'd been in the Greeks and Shakespeare and Jacobeans and Restoration and Sam Shepard, everything, you know, Eugene O'Neill and Tennessee Williams. And all of a sudden we're doing this experimental theater, opening the Everly Theater Center in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was was something, let me tell you. It was was brilliant though. It was absolutely a brilliant experience. But yeah, that's my upbringing has been, I started in the theater when I was about 11. Yeah. So ghoulies, to bring this back to what we're here to talk about, I guess, um, (laughs) ghoulies was the first, um, was first movie I ever did. Um, and at the time I was doing a play in downtown Los Angeles. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Mark Taper forum. Um, yeah, yeah, it's your professional theaters in America, if not the world. I mean, it's, it's renowned and I'm not bragging. I was blessed. Um, but I was doing a play there by one of your countrymen play called making noise quietly, which is three separate one acts that all form an evening called making noise quietly. It's by a wonderful playwright named Robert Holman, who's this sweet, shy man. And he's from, uh, let me remember, Guisborough, if I said it right, near <laughs> Cleveland, which is somewhere up in the north border, somewhere, God knows where in England, but um, it's a, a wonderful evening of theater. And I was doing that um, when I got this uh, appointment from my manager saying, you know, you're going to read for this movie in two days. And I was like, oh, cool. What is it? And he's, well, it's, it's the third Ghoulies movie. And I was like, really? Really? <laughs> I'm a dick or anything. Don't get me wrong. Or I'm a snob. I was just like, right. but I want to work with like Sidney Lumet. And I want to work with Woody Allen. I want to work with Jane Campion. Ghoulies? Really? <laughs> I'm doing art right now. Damn it. Can't we? Anyway, Graham knows this story. Um, <laughs> so two days later, I read the script and I was like, okay, it's Thankfully, you know, Ghoulies, as you guys know, the, the third one is a comedy. It's more slapstick. Mm-hmm. It's very Preston Sturgis. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. And if you've never seen a Preston Sturgis film, you, you owe it to yourself to watch The Lady Eve or The Great McGinty, which is about a bum who ends up becoming governor of New York State. Um, these are slapstick, but very sweet comedies that are cutting edge. Anyway, long story short, that's. Ghoulies go to college. In fact, John Beekler and I were talking one time on the set and I said, you know, this is so Preston Sturgis. And he put his arm around me because I love Preston Sturgis movies. And I said, Oh my God. So um, <laughs> anyway, um, so two mornings later, I mean, you know, when you work in the theater, I know you guys have been around it. You know, once the play is up and running, you go to work at about five in the afternoon, or if it's Saturday, Sunday, where you're doing matinees and evenings, you go to work about one in the afternoon for or 12 o'clock, I should say, for a 2 p.m. matinee. But, you know, you don't get off work any of those nights. You have Mondays off. Um, you, you don't get off. The curtain doesn't come down till about 11. And then you're starving because you haven't eaten before the show because you don't eat before a play because it drags you down. And so you go to dinner. So by the time you really go to sleep, it's 1, 1.30 in the morning. And that's just the way it goes for three to six to nine months. And, you know, I had this... Uh, audition for this ghoulies movie at 10 a.m 
the on a Wednesday or Thursday morning out in the San Fernando Valley, and I was living in Hollywood at the time, so it's like a 15-mile drive, and it's early in the morning, and my body clock just wasn't used to it, so I was grumpy, which is very unprofessional. I admit it completely, but I wasn't taking this all too seriously because it was ghoulies, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So I, I drive out to the valley. I get up. I jack myself up with caffeine. I drive to the valley, I, this big building. I go in. Casting director's there, and she's like, oh, it's great to see you, blah, blah, blah. Um, you're, we're going to take you in right away. Um, I said, oh, great. So I walk into this room, and you walk in, and the room is dark. But at the other end, I see these two gentlemen sitting behind a table, and there's light on them. But the 15, 20 feet between me and them is dark. And I'm like, okay. So I got the script, and I start walking towards them. And one of them is like, hey, Evan. And I was like, hi, how you doing? Boom. I go right over an ottoman that's in the middle of the room that I didn't even see. I mean, literally pratfall right to the ground. Didn't see this. <laughs> and now I'm pissed. It was, it was <laughs> six hours. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm in the San Fernando freaking valley and it's ghoulies. And I'm just falling <laughs> face and I'm pissed. So I get up and I kind of stand there and John Beekler jumps. I goes, Oh my God, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, who the fuck put this thing here? And they both look at me and start laughing. <laughs> I'm just like, this is blah. And the casting, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Evan. And I was like, well, what is this doing here? Why is this room so dark? You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> Maybe that was a yank. I think it was. There you go. <laughs> so I sit down and I read. For John and the producer, Ian Patterson, they're like, oh, God, hey, try it this way. And I was like, try it that way. And I did it. And I did it. And I did it. I said, great. Thanks, guys. It was nice to meet you. And John's like, watch out for that ottoman on the way out. And I kind of looked and I went, turn the fucking lights on, would you? And, you know, <laughs> anyway, that was my beginning of my journey with Ghoulies. I uh, pratfalled right in front of them um, accidentally. And uh, three days later, I was called for the callback, I think it was. Yeah. So it was another. But this time it was in one in the afternoon, which is was a little more civil for a theater rat like me, you know. So um, that's how it began. And then the callback was another instance where evidently, unbeknownst to me, I was winning the role with John Beekler. And God rest his soul, who's such a wonderful man, um, was winning the role with him by simply by just being a complete fish out of water. And do you want to hear the other funny thing? Cause someone on the Facebook page said, Hey, what was funny that happened? Do you yeah, want to hear yeah. the actual funny Absolutely. thing that happened? That <laughs> Please. I thought would get me off the hook from doing this movie. <laughs> you know, again, I'm not a snob. So anybody's listening to this. No, it's not. It's just, you know, when you've done 20 professional Shakespeare's and you're doing high British art and all this, and you're suddenly reading for ghoulies, you're like, what in God's name is the universe? The universe is having a lot of fun with me. So I go to this callback, and now it's in a Century City tower. And if you've ever been to L.A., Century City is comprised of about six, seven towers. All of those towers are filled with entertainment, law firms, accounting firms, PR firms, film production, financing. That's what those towers are all about. Um and so I'm going to Vestron Video's building. Well, the day before the callback across the press and Variety and the Hollywood Reporter and everything is Vestron Video files for bankruptcy. You know, this is the company that brought Dirty Dancing and a bunch of huge hits. And everybody was like, these guys are going out of business. What, what happened? Um, 
And that's where my callback was. So I'm like, okay. So I go to this building or I go to one of the towers in Century City, go up on one of the floors and walk in. And it's like, as far as you can see, there are all these empty desks, you know, with computer terminals and no one's at them. And I mean, this is a full floor of a Century City tower, which is vast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, casting people are there and they're like, oh yeah, come this way. And so I go into this room with about four or five other guys that are obviously up for that part and some of the other parts. And there's four or five other women there who are obviously up for the part of Aaron. And um, one by one, they bring us into what the classic Hollywood scene, which is you go into a room where you think you're going to give a, a callback audition and you are, but you're in a conference room. So there's this giant oval conference table and there's four or five men in suits. You know, you always hear about the Hollywood suits. And again, this is my first rodeo with this and, and there sits John Beekler, you know, in a polo shirt and Ian, they're the two guys not in suits. Um, and everybody else is in suits. And I come in and I read with one woman and then they excuse this woman. They bring another woman in and I read with her. They bring in Eva LaRue, who ended up playing Aaron. And of course, my knees go weak. She's freaking gorgeous, you know, <laughs> just sweet as can be. And it's just like, oh, my God. And uh, and then they send her out. And there was this moment and I said, do you guys mind if I sit down for a minute? And they're like, oh, no, sit down. So I sit down and uh, the other actress they were bringing in was taking her time. I don't know. So there's a guy sitting to the right of me who's got like curly black hair and big horn rim, black glasses and, you know, very smiley. And he's in a suit and he looks like a, a classic, you know, L.A. finance filmmaker kind of guy, accountant. And um, he's like, so, Evan, um, and this is so I thought of this last night for you guys, because this is so <laughs> relevant to today. And we're talking 25 years ago or something. This guy goes, so let me ask you something. Evan. Has anyone ever told you that you look like a young Donald Trump? <laughs> <laughs> and even then, my friends, my, my over the pond British friends, even then, we all the guy was a schmuck then as much as he's worse than that now. And I just. <laughs> Like took to which I took great offense when he asked me this mm-hmm. and just looked at him and I said, no, has anyone ever told you you look like Woody Allen after a bad night with Mia? <laughs> <laughs> he kind of looks at me and kind of half grins and the room goes quiet. And then John Beekler starts laughing <laughs> and it's classic Hollywood. And then Ian starts laughing, the producer. And then this guy starts <laughs> laughing. And then one by one, all the suits who were staring at this guy start laughing like dominoes. I mean, you couldn't <laughs> better. It was everything I'd ever heard about Hollywood. No one wants you till everybody wants you. No one finds you interesting until the producer finds you interesting. And then all the associate producers, which is who all these other suits were. You know, everybody's a yes man down the road. But John started busting out laughing. John just busted out laughing. And um, and this guy looks at me and goes, man, you're something. And I was like, yeah, OK. Sorry if I offended you, but you pissed me off and, you know, um, sorry. And the guy's laughing. He's like, no, 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 it's okay. I had it coming. Fine. So anyway, long story short, I'm done. I go home and about, I don't know, next day sometime my manager, Linda, calls and she goes, well, <laughs> they're offering you the part. And I said, great. I'm turning it down. <laughs> so, yeah, I was kind of figuring. I said, yeah, come on. I mean, Come on, you know, come on. And uh, um, 
she said, okay, I'll call Lewis, who was my agent, Lewis Ambrosio at the time, who's this big, chubby, Brooklyn, born and raised queen. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, Lewis Ambrosio talks like this. <laughs> and he's very demonstrative and very over the top. And so then I get a phone call from Lewis and he's like, you know, you're going to do this film because we need you to do a lead movie so that, you know, so we can show that you've carried a movie. And I said, Lewis, I'm, I'm not doing this. Please, nothing against these people there. I like John a lot, but come on. You know, I I, I want to do, I want to work, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it turns out Ghoulies is art, as you guys know. Mm. But kind of art. Anyway, so I turned it down like twice, which I didn't do it to be a jerk. I just was like uncomfortable. I was like, you know, there's going to be girls running around topless. I'm not in those scenes, but, you know, come on. This is like a B-movie booby movie. And <laughs> so finally, Lewis calls me again, and he's like, um, he's just in my face. And I said, okay, fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. Fine. So here's the end of the story of me insulting this guy in the callback. A week later, I'm on the first day of shooting, and there's this guy who had pissed me off and insulted me, and I had insulted him back. And I'm standing there getting to know people, and I, you know, literally, don't, I mean, on this giant set in a warehouse, I have no idea what's going on. I just see all kinds of shit going on, and um, I get taken to my trailer. I get into my first outfit. I'm reading. I'm rehearsing because that's what we do. That's what actors mm-hmm. do. I'm rehearsing away. And I get called to the set and they're like, yeah, this first shot is just going to be a wide shot. We're not going to, you don't have to do anything. You just walk into the room. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's easy. Great. So as I'm getting ready to do it, this guy's standing there and I was like, oh, hey, it's you. And he's like, yeah, hey, how you doing? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'll let you know in a few weeks. <laughs> I've done this before. And he's like, well, you've done a couple episodes of TV, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, you've done tons of theater. And I said, yeah. He goes, well, this should be easy. And I said, okay, if you say so. And I said, by the way, who are you? And he's like, well, my name's Larry. And I said, okay, hi, Larry. Um, and Beekler comes walking up. And Beekler's like, Evan, this is Larry Kazanoff. And I'm like, okay, hi. Like, I'm supposed to know who Larry Kazanoff is, right? <laughs> and I said, so, Larry, what, what are you doing? on? Are you the uh, cameraman? What are you doing on this movie? And Beekler is laughing. He's just like, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. He's like, Larry's the executive producer. And I was like, oh, cool. So what do you do? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, guys, to be a dick, I'm just don't. And Larry's like, well, he's like laughing. He's like, well, you know, I'm managing the whole thing, Evan. That's what producers, I'm producing. (laughs) Shitting me. This guy put me on. What does he do here? What is what's his job? And John's like, he's the producer. You'll get to know him and like him. And I said, okay, fine. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so we get to do this first take, and this is the end of the story. John, he puts his arm around me and he goes, I, I, I got to tell you something. I said, well, he goes, you, you came to the first audition, you fell, you. <laughs> pissed off at Ian and I and then you gave a great reading and you were really funny and then you come to the callback and you insult the executive producer in front of all the other producers Um, and now you walk on the set and you insult him again that's when I knew you were going to play this part and I just looked at John and I said really because I'm so innocent that I'm insulting people without meaning to and he's like yeah 
Cool. <laughs> All because I was a fish out of water, you know. Well, you, you said you didn't really want the part. I mean, uh, in retrospect now, uh, are you glad you took it? Yeah. I learned so much about filmmaking and got paid, which is a dream for anybody. I mean, up until that time, I did it. I'd done an episode of a sitcom, which is three camera where they tried to bring back the old uh, Love American style series. It was called the new Love American style. Boy, isn't that creative? Um, but it was filmed with three cameras. So no matter where you went on the set, these three giant cameras captured anything you did. Um, and that was one day of work. And then I had done an episode of L.A. Law, a TV series about L.A. lawyers. I don't know if you guys knew that series yeah. over there. Oh, yeah, and I did an episode yeah. of that, yeah, where I had a co-star part. But it was all shot out on the streets where I'm, I'm, I play a young filmmaker in that episode. So mm-hmm. this was totally different. But that had been like a year earlier. So this was completely different. But, yeah, I mean, 10 weeks later – um, <laughs> I knew not to say to the camera, to the cinematographer, um, please take this camera away from my face and put it across the room and zoom in. It's <laughs> like giant x-ray machine next to my, I felt like I'm at the dentist, you know, and, uh, which happened, um, that same day on my first day of shooting. I literally did a scene with, uh, Eva who plays Aaron, where you know the camera was way across the room and we did this scene. Well, that's known as the wide shot. You guys know this, I'm sure. Well, then I'm standing there talking to Eva because I, I had never really gotten to know her other than reading with her at the callback. And so I'm standing there chatting with her after we'd done this. And John was like, great, that's great. We're moving on. And I'm just standing there talking to her. And I feel this thing come up next to my head. And I look, and there's this giant movie lens. There's the cameras right there. And the guy's running up tape measure from the side of the lens to my cheek and i look at him and i go oh i'm sorry am i in the way he goes no 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 don't move <laughs> and i was like oh okay so i'm standing and i keep talking to eva and um and john goes okay so he comes up to me and he goes okay evan so this is like the first these it's these lines you're going to deliver them to eva she's going to be off camera and i said oh okay great and and john gets behind the camera he goes okay you you know you, you about ready and i looked at john and so I look over and there's John, there's the cinematographer, Ron Schmidt behind the lens. There's this guy with the tape who's the focus puller. And I look at all three of them and I go, well, are you guys going to be right there? And is the camera going to be right here? And I kid you not, gentlemen, all the gaffers, the ADs, everybody goes silent on the set. <laughs> and John looks at me and goes, well, what do you mean, Evan? And I said, well, does the camera have to be like right here next to my face? (laughs) Close up. And I said, well, well, fine, but can't you put it back across the room where it was and just zoom in on me? (laughs) And John starts giggling. Ron, the cinematographer starts giggling. He pulls his eye out from behind the camera. This focus puller guy, Gary, who became a great friend starts, everybody everybody starts laughing. Eva's laughing. And I'm looking at all. I'm like, what? What? Can't we do it that way? And John's like, no, we can't do it that way. So for the next six, seven weeks of the shoot, 
every time it was time for my close up, one of the gaffers or one of the guys or one of the actresses or someone would, someone on the set would be like, shh, don't tell Evan that the camera's going to be right next to his face. <laughs> and it was a joke. And I'd look at them all and go, okay, fuck you. Fine, fine, fine. So <laughs> to answer your question with another anecdote, that was one of the funnier that was an ongoing gag, you know. It was like, don't tell Evan that the camera's right behind his head. You know, <laughs> this is close up, you know, because we're going to tell Evan we're using the zoom lens, but we're just putting the camera next to him to just to mess with him. I mean, it just became this running gag, and I endeared myself to everybody because I literally was learning as I went. So, in retrospect, yeah. And also, I learned, you know, that as physical and as slapstick as this was, you still got to like stay within focus. You know, <laughs> you can't take a punch out of the focus of the camera and it was great, you know, and just learning how to, uh, just to be still, because like I said, my whole life had been on the stage where, you know, stillness is power, but it's done at a very specific time. Whereas in the movies, stillness is like something you do a lot. Once you mm -hmm. do the wide now you're doing medium shots and close-ups and extreme close-ups, and that's where you have to just let it all be in your soul and let it come through your eyes. Even, you know, in a a silly, slapsticky comedy like Ghoulies. So But I taught them a few things too. Don't you worry. <laughs> Don't you worry. I taught them a few things, like, you know, um, they had a stunt double for me who looked just like me. And this poor guy made so much money for sitting around all day. It's a wonder he didn't gain 50 pounds sitting around <laughs> eating all because I theater I stage combat and all that stuff. So I did all my own stunts. Um, I actually sh had the stunt man show them a few things they didn't know. And it was like, wow, that's really cool. Did you learn that? It's like, well, you know, if you do some Shakespeare, son, you'll learn how to use this thing. <laughs> um, and I cured John suffered from migraine headaches and I showed him how to use some the techniques I'd learned in movement Feldenkrais movement class and the theater training, how to cure a headache without taking pills. And so anyway, Oh boy, hang on. No, don't skip over that. You just said you can cure a migraine. What's the, what's this, what's this magical <laughs> way of curing a migraine? Well, there's two ways you can do it. It's called using key, which is energy that comes from the center of your body and out of your hands, hmm. which I know sounds voodoo and mystic-y, but it's true if you get the image. But, um, essentially, uh, one way you can cure a migraine is you put the palm of your hand on the, your friend's forehead very gently. First, you rub your hands together to get them warm, and you lay a warm hand on their forehead. Then you take your other hand, you kind of form a U with your thumb and the rest of your fingers, and you put your hand just gently at the base of their skull, the back of their neck, and then close your eyes and breathe, and just imagine that there's a really strong beam of red or blue light, your choice, coming up from your solar plexus behind your belly button up through your chest, down your shoulder, out through and through your fingertips. And you're just extending that light into the base of your friend's skull. Um, and just gently squeezing a little bit because there's two giant blood arteries there. But really what you're doing is you're not using any force. You're allowing this, this image that you let get really strong coming out of your body up into your hands and you, without pushing or anything, your hands are doing the work. You're just not using muscle. You're using an image, which is sending this energy into these blood vessels. Because when you have a headache, it's a lack of blood in your brain. That's what causes a headache. So I did it to John one day because he was like holding his head. And I said, you're okay, man. And he was like, 
She said, I get migraines from time to time. And I said, well, here, let me help you. And he goes, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to kill you. It'll cure your migraine. And of course, that was, you know, me being Skip Carter. But I did it for about two minutes with him. And everyone was like staring at me like, what's he doing to John? And then I let go. And I said, now take a deep breath, John. Exhale. And he opened his eyes. He goes, oh, my God, my migraine's gone. I said, wow. You, man. You know, it's ghoulies voodoo. So <laughs> I'm all for that. Yeah. So, well, um, the, the whole cast really um, elevated the kind of the zany script above the usual B movie schlock, you know, over the time. How seriously did you and the rest of you know your co-stars uh, approach that material? Well, I approached it as if I was doing a play. So I went home and rehearsed every night, um, and I rehearsed, you know, in between takes. Um, I would go off to my trailer and rehearse and I'd grab one of the other actors. I mean, Patrick Laberto plays Mookie and Jason Lee and, and Eva and, um, Andy and some of the, I'm remembering all of these other folks. You guys have really brought my memory back to on this. It was, it was a fun time. Um, I would grab them and go, Hey, let's go rehearse that scene. And, you know, at first Patrick was like, Patrick was so funny because, you know, these, Patrick and Eva and Andy Bore, I forget names last, and played the big heavy duty oh, guy. Yeah, and Jason Lee and pretty much other than myself and Kevin McCarthy and Marsha Norman, everyone else had grown up in Hollywood doing movies and doing mm-hmm. TV commercials mm-hmm. and episodes of TV. I mean, Patrick was a child actor. Andy was. Jason was. Eva had been doing soap operas for quite a while. They'd all grown up around cameras. I hadn't. Um, and so they were used to like just not rehearsing, but I mean, rehearsing just enough, but the whole mentality is you keep it so that there's a freshness to it when you do that first take, first or second take. And then that's it. That's the way they're, they're the way film actors, you know, tend to work. Um, who don't have any theater training, whereas in theater training, you know, you rehearse for four to six weeks before you dare step in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the, it wasn't so much, it was more me being paranoid and at sometimes just absolutely frightened of what I was doing because I kept saying to John, you know, how am I doing? And he kept saying, you're doing great. It's like, well, when can I come and watch the dailies? He goes, I don't want you to watch the dailies. And I said, well, I remember saying to him, why? He goes, because you're going to stiffen up and clear your throat all the time. And I look and went, no, no, I'm not, you know, and he's like, well, you know, actors, they see themselves on camera and they, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that, John. <laughs> so for the very next take of the thing, I, I stood like a stick up my ass and <laughs> shoulders back military and looked at the camera and delivered the line. And John, of course, got the joke. And he busts out laughing. He's like, okay, we're not going to save that one. And I was like, see, anyway, um, you're right. The, they all saw that I was fish out of water and that I was scared. I'll be honest with you. I, I was, I was like, shit, you know, what if Woody Allen sees this and I suck, you know, <laughs> what if Jane Campion sees this and I'm terrible? What if Sidney Lumet see, I mean, you know, I'm naming all these legends. <laughs> oh my. But, um, everybody was game once they realized, Oh, he's doing this. Cause it just helps him. And they were game. And Patrick was hysterical about it. Cause you know, 
at that time I smoked cigarettes and I drank, drank a lot of coffee and he used to tell you, tease me. He's like, you were such a New York actor, you know, you're like, you know, you got a giant <laughs> cup of coffee always. And you always got a cigarette and you've always got your script and you're always off in the corner rehearsing. Like, well, this is my, this is what I do, Patrick. But we would go off and rehearse, you know, we'd go to my trailer or we just go to another part of the set or whatever. And, you know, we'd rehearse and Eva was great about it. Patrick was, everybody was great because it was just like, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I, I'm scared guys and I, I need to be able to do this, you know, so that I know I'm at least doing something right around here. So I think, um, that was why I think there's a lot of great acting in it, you know, because we mm -hmm. did take the time to, one of your people commented about that on the Facebook page and it was true. We, you know, it wasn't because of me um, being a perfectionist. It was because of me just being a fish out of water and going, okay, well, my safety net is just to rehearse my brains out so that there's four different ways I can play this scene and I can give the director choices. And, you know, that was it. So, mm -hmm. cool. Do you, do you keep in touch with anyone from the movie, like your cast or crew? Or? No, I haven't. A lot. I mean, I stayed in touch with John until his passing. Yeah. You yeah, know, once a year or so, I'd exchange a email or phone call. In fact, um, this friend of mine, Jeremy Miller, who runs Epic Talent, um, mm -hmm. he does you know all these comic cons. He books talent for the comic cons and the horror shows and everything. Um, Jeremy was working on booking John and I together as part of the 25th anniversary with Graham's book. Oh um, wow! A bunch of shows here in the States and hopefully overseas yeah. um, until John's untimely passing. And then it was going to be, well, let's, let's see what we can book in the UK and then in Germany, we're going to drag Graham along and sell some books and have some fun. <laughs> um, and then if Graham was game to get his ass to the U S we'd just go on a little road trip to some festivals there as well. Um, so yeah, I've been in touch with John because um Jeremy really wanted to do that. And I thought it was a great idea. And we'd been in touch with Eva. She was a little skittish about doing it. And I understand why. I mean, she's gone on to do a lot of things that, you know, are she's much more recognizable for, I guess you could say. I don't think she's looking down her nose at her ghoulies experience, though. But um, <laughs> No, no. She spoke with me, so, you know, and she didn't have to. Yeah. Eva's so sweet. She, I miss her. I haven't seen her in years. But I used to see her pop up on TV every once in a while. I'm like, ah, should have married that girl. <laughs> <laughs> or beg her to marry me i should say <laughs> but that's uh so now it's you know covid hit and um at some point it'll come back and then we'll we'll do it um but yeah uh john's passing was a shock because jeremy and i actually were working on a a treatment for ghoulies oh, wow. ghoulies film mm -hmm. based on Skip Carter, you know, 20 years on running for president and he's still an immature schmuck, but like, <laughs> um, and who does he come up against? He's running against the first female governor of the state and we were going to try to get Eva to play that part. So it's like, oh, wow. Their lives have diverged after yeah. college. Now they come back and they're competing and, <laughs> and somehow we put the ghoulies in there to mess the whole thing up. <laughs> we were thinking great. like armies of ghoulies in spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd, I'd watch that. Great. 
you know, because yeah. <laughs> then even I end up having to, you know, make up and fight. And now, you know, I become president and she's my minister of defense and we have to fight the ghouly aliens coming down from the skies. So there you go, Lionsgate. When you hear this interview, there's your next damn movie. <laughs> I understand they own the rights, I think. So. I think they do, yeah. As far as yeah. I know. No, that sounds fantastic. I've got to ask you, actually, um, uh, you did some uh, stage work alongside uh, Lisa Pelican at some point. I did, yeah. I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious, what, what were you actually, um, what were you in with her? And I'm kind of, I'm, I want to know what kind of Ghoulies War stories you traded if it came up. It didn't really come up. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, we did a production of Twelfth Night by, you know, your countryman. Billy Bob Shakespeare. <laughs> That's how they refer to him up in Idaho at the Idaho Shakespeare Festival. <laughs> Billy Bob. Um, we did a production of Twelfth Night at another really great theater, La Jolla Playhouse, which is in La Jolla, California, for uh, Des McEnough, who, if you know who Des is, he's won Tonys for a bunch of bunch of plays. But we did a production of Twelfth Night down there that was a pre-Broadway tryout type thing. It was a huge production, but Lisa played uh olivia in it and i played sebastian for the third time so what you get for having a baby face you have to play all the ingenues in shakespeare <laughs> now that i'm getting older i'm you know i want to play richard the second i want to play you know i want to play the the ugly people now the mean people the <laughs> lunatics uh, but anyway lisa and i did uh 12th night at la jolla playhouse for about three months and i think we traded some charlie band stories because you know charlie Mm-hmm. Band was the first producer of the Ghoulie series. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know of him. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Oh, you are up on. He was one of the early home video pioneers. He had a deal with Paramount for a number of years where he just yeah. cranked out content. Yeah. I had some friends that did Charlie Band movies. Um, he was shooting them all in Romania. Yeah. Because uh, there's some big salt mine that can double as all kinds of spooky sci-fi sets but uh no we didn't really um talk much about it um so sorry you'll have to edit this (laughs) (laughs) we just kind of acknowledge that yeah i mean lisa did that i mean lisa had a huge break when she was like 18 or 19 yeah with jane jennifer pardon she did a movie called jennifer which is a, a great kind of a Carrie ripoff. <laughs> I didn't know that. No, she. The movie she did was uh, the Turning Point. Oh, was that with like Meryl Streep or something? She was in a. She played a younger version of someone, didn't she? Yeah, uh, Jane Fonda. I think Jane Fonda. Was, yeah, she was in the Turning Point. Um, and she played the younger version when she right when she got out of Juilliard. Um, and then fast forward, she did the first or second Ghoulies movie. So, you know, that's the thing about a career in in the movies that you know, you can find yourself doing a list films like that. And then you can find yourself doing, you know, movies with half a million dollar budgets, um, you know, and it can, you can bounce back and forth between some of them, or you can spend your life doing lower budget, what are known as B movies, which are not, that's not a derogatory term. That just means budget. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's interesting. I mean, I did a, a short film that ended up winning the Oscar, for best short film. Um, after I'd done, was it, I think that was after ghouls, I think. Mm. Oh yeah. Uh, what was, was it called? Ghouls and after children of the night. 
I think. It's called Session Man. Okay. And it's about an aging rock and roll band, a la The Stones or The Who or somebody, mm-hmm. or Zeppelin, getting back together to do a comeback album. And it takes place all one night in a recording studio. Um, and I remember I had like two days on it. I play, And I have a very small role, but it was something to do. Um, I got to meet Linda Ronstadt and B.B. King, which was really cool. Mm. Uh, and Aaron Neville. They were recording that trio album. We recorded it or we filmed it at a very famous recording studio right on Melrose Avenue. And it's right across from Paramount. It's called Conway Studios. And it's basically four or five little brick bungalows that all could kind of go off like an English garden trails to each one um, from the main bungalow. And each bungalow is a recording studio. And it's been there for a long, long time. But we were shooting in two of the bungalows. And they were recording that album they did, the three of them did. And, uh, I mean, there was B.B. King. I mean, it was just like, oh, my God, it's B.B. King. And he was just the nicest guy. You're like, you know, you want to pull a Wayne's World, like we are not worthy in front of this <laughs> man. And he's like talking to Grandpa. He's like, well, tell me what you're doing here. He didn't want to talk about himself at all, which was really great. And then Linda Ronstadt walks by and says hi. And, you know, of course, your knees go weak. You're just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> And then there's Aaron Neville who sings like a bird. So it was anyway, session man. Um, and it was a interesting little film. And then a year later, I, it's funny. I had been trying to upgrade my career. (laughs) This is such a skip Carter thing. I'm trying to upgrade (laughs) my career and go to one of the powerhouse agents like William Morris or triad or ICM or Mm. CAA. And I had a friend, a kind of, she was a casual friend through some friends who was an agent at ICM at the time. And I had sent her my reel and she was like, well, you know, you've done a lot of, you know, lower budget things, you know, you know, get back to me when you've done something a little more a list. And I said, well, that's why I need you. Um, (laughs) But there it is. That's Hollywood for you. But uh, so I was at Lisa's house. She invited me to an Oscar party at her house. So there we are at this house, nice house in Beverly Hills. And people are watching the Oscars and, I never really had much interest in the Oscars, but we're watching them. It's a casual party. You wander through a room and it's on a big screen and blah, blah, blah. And I I remember I was staying there talking to someone with my date and I heard the TV, you know, on the TV. It was like, you know, and and the the nominees for best short film are da, 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 da and Session Man. And I'm like, what? I had no idea. And uh, (laughs) I say to everybody, wait a minute, I'm in that. And of course, you know, again, it's Hollywood. No one wants you to tell everyone wants you. Everyone looks at me and goes, really? <laughs> Whoa. You know, in a nice way, like impressed. You know, this guy that's been in the corner all night, nervous. <laughs> and I, was like, I did that movie a year ago. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then about two seconds later, it wins. And there's the writer-director, Seth Winston. He's a lovely man. He's up there accepting the Oscar. And I'm like, wow, Seth won. This is so cool. And Lisa, the ICM agent, she comes over and she goes, really? You're in that movie? And I look at her and I went, yeah, now will you represent me? <laughs> she blushed and she's like, you are such a schmuck. And I'm like, no, I just want to clear, you know? <laughs> so it was, it was, it was fun. But yeah, I ended up going back and um, doing a lot of theater guys after, after that, because I had um, some, I had a rough period of my life happen and uh, uh, with Hollywood you know, I just kind of got soured on it because I went for like nine months without working other than a little part here or there. And, um, be honest with you, 
I just wasn't used to sitting on my hands. You know, the agents yeah. kept saying, well, you got to stick around. You got to stick around. I'm like, yeah, but I got an offer to go do a play in Louisville or in Cleveland or in, you know, New Mexico, you know, and yeah, I know it only pays 500 bucks a week and you guys get 50 bucks of that, but this is what I do. And it, it just, uh, it got sideways for a while there. That's all I can say. Um, to where I kind of walked away from the business for quite a while. And I went and studied art and became a photographer, to be honest with you. I was a professional photographer in LA for uh, about the second half of the nineties through the first half of two thousands. I, um, I still did some short films and independent things for, I did student things that, you know, people would ask me to do. And I shot some TV commercials. Um, but, uh, I mainly became a photographer and I was fortunate. I, you know, became uh, John Travolta's photographer for a while. And, uh, from that led to some other celebrity work and I was shooting bands and architecture and pretty much anybody would pay me anything I was, oh, cool. mm. I was doing, you know, and I had a, you know, a baby on the way, uh, unexpectedly. And, and it was one of those things where, you know, I took responsibility. I'm a single dad with a daughter. I got to feed my baby. Yeah. So, um, there it is. The wow. Ghoulies was a blast. Don't get me wrong. It was, yeah. you know, I have fond memories of that. And when Graham reached out to me a couple of years ago and I found those photos and I was just like, oh, my God, we had so much fun. <laughs> Talking about the movie, did, did you get to or did you keep anything from the movie? Like, I did for a long time. Yeah. Some of my wardrobe, which I loved, mm-hmm. but, you know, eventually clothes wear out. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, uh, I wanted to keep one of the ghoulies, but of course, yeah. John was like, um, sure. For about $10,000, you can have one. I'll make you one. <laughs> You're not paying me that much money. So, um, <laughs> no, I didn't. Other than photos, I kept all these photos that I shared with Graham, um, yeah. and some cool clothes for a while. There really wasn't anything to keep because by the end of the movie, everything was blown up, yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, or burnt. <laughs> <laughs> You know, even a lot of the clothes that I had that were, I had some great clothes. The woman that did the wardrobe on that shoot, Beatrice, I think her name was, she was from Eastern Europe. She was great. She brought all this Tom Taylor stuff from London to the set and, um, it was great. But, um, other than photos these days, and I think I have a VHS copy of the movie somewhere. Yeah. I was going to say, do, do, do you, have you ever watched the movie since you were in it yeah. in recent years? Well, we had a premiere. I don't know if you know this. Um, Larry Kazanoff actually paid for a premiere at, at okay. a, uh, was at the Writers Guild Theater. All the guilds in LA, the Directors Guild, the Writers Guild, Screen Actors Guild have screening movie theaters in their buildings, real live movie theater, not small screening rooms. They're the real deal that seat a few yeah. hundred. So we had a ghoulie screening at the, I think it was at the Writers Guild building. Um, so I saw it on the big screen. Mm hmm. You know, it was great. Everybody was there. The place was packed. Um, and then we all went and partied our brains out afterwards. At some point. <laughs> wow. Because the, the it was supposed to have a theatrical release. Yeah. But then when Vestron went out of business, um, it got dumped into home home video. And it ran on uh, TV quite a bit, too, because I used to get some nice residual checks from it for a while. But, but okay. So I did watch it on the big screen. And then I watched yeah. it a few times with friends. Um, and, uh, and yeah. And then, mm-hmm. um, I recently, <clears throat> it's interesting that Graham came into my world. Yeah. I came into his two years ago. Um, mm-hmm. it's interesting because people started, it's just the way the universe works, you know? Um, 
I started people like Jeremy in Nashville, who was my neighbor in Nashville was like, you did ghoulies. You're in the third ghoulies. You're in ghoulies. Go to college. I was like, well, yeah. Well, he's, Dude, that's a cult film. And I was like, get out of here. Really? And he's like, yeah. I said, really? He's like, yeah. Said, Do you want to go sign some autographs at shows? I'm like, well, sure. I, I just like talking to people. He goes, no, no, they'll pay you. And I was like, oh, I don't want people to pay for my handwriting. <laughs> and he's like, Jeremy's like, oh, my God. Yes. So anyway, um, and then uh, <clears throat> some filmmakers I know in L.A. who are trying to get some feature films made called and said, Hey, what are you doing these days? And I said, well, I do this and I do that. So you want to, we're doing these treatments of films where you shoot a section of a movie that then you take to a festival with the artwork, the key art they call poster to get financing to finish them. So I, I said, Oh, okay. And so then Jeremy said, you know, we need to create a website. So I have a website up now that has a real, and, you know, contact Jeremy if you want to contact me kind of thing. Um, it's Evan McKenzie actor. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very simple. But um, <clears throat> the two films that I did um, about two years ago, short versions of them um, are up there. And um, some of the stuff from Ghoulies and Children of the Night and um, <laughs> the search, and Jeremy insisted we put the scanner cop scene where I could scan. You know, have you guys seen those scanner movies? I only seen I saw, yours. I saw the first one. I don't. I think. I think. You yeah. know where the the scanner can make your blood boil from the inside. And yeah. Yeah. So my Jeremy's like, oh no, we got to have that on there. People will love that. And I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, the horror shows and everything will want you for that. I said, okay, so. Um, what's happened as Dorothy would say in the wizard of Oz is just this, um, mm -hmm. all of a sudden people are like going, so what are you doing these days? And I'm like, well, you know, I moved back to Cleveland to be near my parents so I could, you know, they're older now and take care of them. And, um, Cleveland is a cultural Mecca. It has the oldest professional regional theater in America mm -hmm. and it has about 15 other professional theaters and it's got world-class art museums and the Cleveland symphony orchestra is world-class. And I, you know, I like to be around culture. So here I am. Wow. So as soon as this COVID nonsense ends, um, I'm going to go back and start doing theater again. And then we'll see if uh, you guys can get Ghoulies 5 made and we'll do it. Make it fun. <laughs> It'll be hilarious. It's funny, actually, Evan, that you mentioned that you wanted to grab one of the Ghoulies. There's actually one up for auction in about four hours. No, get out of here. One of the dolls. What the the fish ghoulie from Ghoulies Three and the toilet is up for auction. <laughs> where is that? <laughs> what where is it, um, Paul? I can send you a link. It's, yeah, it's in LA. It's uh yeah, it says it's in California. Um, we think it was from a Planet Hollywood. Yeah, it was kept in a Planet Hollywood somewhere. And now it's up for auction. So it's, it's oh, spooky shit. time. Very spooky timing. Ghoulies for I'm just I'm just at my machine now. Ghoulies <laughs> auction. That's funny. Um, well, you guys should buy it. Well, we were, we thought about it, but um, I think I think it's two thousand dollars starting bid. Yeah. And I think with all the fees and import duties and that kind of stuff, it's gonna be at least four thousand, I reckon, for us anyway. Yeah. That's that's just a starting bid as well, isn't it? So it could go higher. Oh, there. Oh no, they've got. Oh yeah, that is fish ghoulie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
and fish. Oh, so they. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. Two, that's estimate two thousand. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's just the minimum bid. So. Well, someone's gonna get it. Yeah. Well, I yeah. So. I hope it goes to a fan. Because yeah. Or Evan, you could pick it up and you could take it on the road with you. Well, it's <laughs> funny you should say that. Um, John's widow. Um, I reached out to her. Mm. Um, oh, a couple months after John passed, when we thought we were going to be doing these. Uh, this was last summer, a year ago, summer then. Yeah, when and Jeremy was working on these appointments or these fall shows. There was one over there and. England somewhere, Graham, that I think you had mentioned. And then there yeah. was one in Germany, Jeremy knew of, and there was another one in, uh, I think Italy. I'm not sure, but, um, I reached out to Lynn, um, his widow and said, Hey, you know, if I can borrow these, I will pay you. I will rent them from you or I will just donate money. Cause she had a, she had a fundraising website up that all of us donated as much money as we could to. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Well, I think we all chipped in on that. Yeah. Yeah, because it was just, it, you know, it was. I thought John had done very well in his career, and I guess he had. But you know, you guys are so blessed to have national health over there. You have no idea what it's like over here. Mm. You just oh, don't no. get sick here. You know, unless you've got several million dollars in the bank. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so, yeah. But I reached out to her to say, you know. I will pay you a flat fee. I will donate more money. Hell, I'll give you all the money. Whatever. <laughs> you know, can I borrow like the three ghoulie dolls? Cause I'm sure she probably has a, a fair amount of John's stuff yeah. or any other stuff that we can just, cause I, what I wanted, I told Jeremy is like, look, if people are going to actually pay money for me to sign a picture, they need to have an experience. It ain't going to be just me sitting mm-hmm. at the table with a little cheesy vinyl sign behind me. Fuck that. <laughs> I want to do this upright. Let's do it upright in John's honor and let's, have a pot there you can throw, you know, currency in as well to go to John's family. But also, I, you know, so I reached out to her and I never heard from her, but nothing has really happened yet. So <clears throat> at some point, uh, you know, I would because John gave me, you know, from John, from Ghoulies, you know, there's evidently in the, in the horror movie genre, whether it's high budget or medium or low budget in the U.S. at least. There is a uh, it's there's a clique of people and everybody knows each other. Mm. So, you know, from Ghoulies, I had interest uh, from a guy, Tony Randell, who wrote and directed Children of the Night. Yeah. And he knew John. And it wasn't like one person put in a word for me because that was like three months later when I got that film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked totally different. And yes, that is my real beard. I did grow a beard. <laughs> I think I could. But I did. <laughs> um, and then from that, the scanner cop people. And from that, um, I forget what else. But there's this click, I guess you could say. So uh, John really, you know, opened the doors for me by taking a chance on this guy that was a complete smart ass, had no respect for the genre until, you know, three or four days into it. And I looked around the set one day and I was like, wow, these people are really committed to this fucking thing. You better quit being such a jerk, Evan. And then that wasn't being a jerk to anybody. I was being a jerk to myself. And that's the difference I want to stress. I was not a jerk to anyone on the set. Well, to Larry Kazanoff, but he had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> I was being more to a jerk to him. I was beating up myself. Like, 
Okay. Do, do you have aspirations to be, you know, I want to back fuck. I wanted to come work the Royal Shakespeare <laughs> Academy. I mean, mm-hmm. I wanted to go there. I wanted to go to Stratford upon Avon. That was my world, you know? And mm-hmm. so it was like after three or four days of looking around at all these people that were totally committed to this genre of movie making, it hit me. I was like, you know, you really need to stop picking on yourself and join the band, you know? So that's, that's the big difference. I wasn't, a, I was beating myself up thinking I was short circuiting my career when really what it was, which hit me after like day four was like, this is an incredible situation and opportunity. And really it wasn't just an opportunity to learn and get paid to learn. It was an opportunity to be of service to a genre that everybody around me was committed to. And I was like, you've got it. I'm all in now. And so after that, you know, that's when, I started doing all my, you know, we got to some of the fight scenes and I was like, no, no, I'll do this. And John's like, really? You sure? I was like, yeah, I will do this, you know? And I had my bruises and I had sore knuckles the next day and a sore (laughs) knee or sore, you know, from getting slammed against the wall and all that kind of stuff. But I was like, yeah, this is what I do, man. This is my world. I'm into it. Let's do it. I love it. And then beat me up. (laughs) Please have Eva smack me around. she doesn't get to hit and shoot. Were you kind of sad that you um you weren't in the panty raid scene when the the boys no. got attacked with pillows? No, 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 no. <laughs> so that was the scene I read in the script before it, that made me not want to do the movie. I was like, right. Oh. And then you know, I was like, well, you're not in it. Well, yeah, but isn't that kind of gratuitous booby shaking? <laughs> but you know who was there the day I found out? Because that was one of two days I had off during the entire shoot except for sundays but yeah. guess who showed up after weeks of not being there larry thank you i didn't say it <laughs> i plead the fifth <laughs> i heard i heard all the, suddenly everybody was there i wasn't i was at home sleeping whatever yeah so was, you kind of covered a lot of the questions we've had we've had a few questions on facebook um yeah. as you saw yeah. and a lot of those have been covered um there was one um, from Vermilion Phoenix who says, who was your favorite co-star to work with? Um, and I'm going to kind of prompt you a little bit because you haven't mentioned Stephen Lee. Well, Stephen, um, you know, was playing um, the token Asian dude um, and was crying over Mr. Yamaguchi or whatever when his stereo system gets destroyed. Um and I, ha- I, I didn't really, I mean, Stephen was great. Um, is Stephen, okay, here we go. This is how ignorant I am. Is Stephen like a big time actor now? Is he like famous and shit? Oh, I think that's Jason Scott Lee, sorry. Jason Scott Lee. Jason Scott Lee was. Oh, yeah. Stephen Lee, who played Officer Barkus? Barkus, yes. Yeah. I had a blast with Stephen. <laughs> is Stephen a big famous actor now, too? No, no, he's he, passed. He passed, sadly, yeah. What? Yeah. Oh my God. Cause he, I saw him in an episode of, uh, this is going back a long ways, but I still watch this series whenever I need to feel hopeful about America. I watched the West Wing. Um, okay. to me, it was one of the greatest TV series ever made. Yeah. Um, and he's in an episode of it. I didn't know Steven had passed away. He was hysterical as Officer Barkas. Uh, yeah, he, was, he, he was, he was, you know, a lot of his shit was improvised. I really. 
my language. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that whole scene where he busts, uh, who's the bad guy, Jeremy, with the blonde hair, the white yep. hair. Mm-hmm. That whole thing where he's like, did you be, you know, when he, when his, his uh, golf cart gets destroyed and all yep. that. And Jeremy's like trying to say, that was all improvised. I remember standing off set because they shot it and I was, for some reason, I was still hanging around. And I remember watching him try not to laugh out loud and ruin the take. But it was hysterical <laughs> because Stephen just started going after Jeremy and Jeremy just let it happen. It was really brilliant. But um, <laughs> Stephen chased uh, someone out of my makeup, tra- out of my trailer one night when we were on set down at USC, University really? of Southern California. Yeah. There were some shall we say groupies hanging around. <laughs> um, and evidently one of them, I heard this later, um, had somehow snuck into my trailer. This was a female. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't have a goat with her. So don't go there. I know to think. Um, and evidently she had snuck into my trailer and Stephen had seen this woman go in and realized that's not anyone on the cast because sometimes wardrobe people would go in and put your next change in there. Mm. Um, okay. Or a script person with the rewrites for something would drop things in here, but that was the only people that were supposed to go in your trailer. And evidently Steven had seen this woman go in my trailer and there were several women when we were down at USC and men hanging around the set because they, you know, they'd heard there was this movie going on and there was a frat party scene. And of course, everybody knows what happens at frat parties. You know, people get naked and drink and all that. <laughs> so there were some people hanging around and we were shooting all night long. We would like start at like eight in the evening. I mean, we would shoot till dawn. So evidently Stephen saw this drunk woman go in my trailer and didn't see her come out. And I was working shooting. A scene. <laughs> evidently he went in there and she was nude. <laughs> and he basically got her ass out of there and he told me the story later and i was like why did you do that you bastard <laughs> lonely, lonely out here at night steve in the lead in a movie i remember he and i laughed so hard about it but um he was another guy because steven came from theater he was another one of the people i'm so glad you mentioned him and god rest his soul uh, um, he was another person that I, you know, that was very reassuring presence when he was on set because he's funny. He was hysterically funny, man, and uh, always happy go lucky. And um, when he would see me off by myself, you know, large cup of coffee, <laughs> cigarette, Going over and over my set or trying to get Eva to run lines with me or getting Eva. She was always great about it. Working on things. You know, he was always great about, you want me to run lines with you, man? Yeah, would you? Sure. Okay, could you try it this way? Could you do it this way for me, Steven? He was great. You know, he would just, you know, he was another person that realized this guy's really a fish out of water, you know. So, sorry to hear that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it... Uh, it, it was great. He was great to work with. Um, yeah. So you said you were, that was shot at USC, um, the frat house. Mm-hmm. Were you aware that right opposite the frat house was another frat house, which is from another cult film? It's actually from Night of the Creeps. Oh no, I didn't know. You mean the actual one we shot at? I know that right opposite the one you shot at. Oh, you can see that in the in Ghoulies, you can see it. Yeah, you can see it like when you're when you're stood in the doorway with 
um, Officer Barkus. Yes. You can see it in the background, but I would never would have made that out. It's only because I kind of okay. tried to find where your frat house was via Google Maps, and eventually I found it. And oh. bizarrely, it's directly opposite the one from Night of the Creeps. Paul like, wow. has visited these uh, locations. Evan. Yeah, he's have very you? lucky. Yeah, yeah. I've, I literally Google mapped it. Uh, eventually found it because there's some kind of distinctive writing on the pathway to your frat house, which I eventually found. And then, yeah, I happened to go on holiday up there and found it, and was quite surprised to see the night the creeps right opposite it. Wow. Yeah, the, they film a lot down there because a lot of those frat houses are old, old architecture. Yeah. Um, and it, they don't look like L.A. because so much of L.A. is stucco and, um, you know, mm-hmm. beige buildings. Yeah. The, the um, Goody's ones look very out of place. The, the actual Goody's frat house because it's very it looks very old and very yeah different to the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, USC has been in there a long time. Mm-hmm. So most people don't really. I mean, people think Southern California. Oh, it's a relatively new scene. No. UCLA, USC, um, there's even older ones, uh, Loyola, Marymount, those campuses. Okay. They've been around a long time. Yeah. Well, um, uh, I think we've got our hour, Evan, and I don't want to give you more time than you have done, but uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, uh, oh, it really no. tr- means a lot to have you included in this sort of Definitely. little series we're doing, and uh, yeah. uh, you're such a big part of the history of Ghoulies, and um, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to what you were uh, what you have in the future you know i am too <clears throat> once you get past this covid thing you know i uh we could all move to sweden and we could just do what we need to do over there <laughs> you know i was in denmark a couple times the last few years and i <laughs> fell in love with denmark although i must say uh, i did live for a little while in uh, spain and portugal and yeah. i'm madly in love with portugal i just find it you know it's just like a big country full of hippies who speak English. It's fucking great. Um, and I love Spain cause I'm a flamenco freak. I love the flamenco music, but, um, Denmark, man, everybody's happy in Denmark. Cause mm. you know why? Because number one, they can have a heart attack and they don't go bankrupt. Number two, <laughs> they can go become a heart surgeon for free other than books and food. That's all they pay. That's it. Wow. You know? <laughs> so every time someone would diss Bernie Sanders in this country about, and mentioning Denmark, I'm like, yeah, I've been there. And you know what? They're all happy. Yeah, they pay a lot of taxes, but so that just makes them earn more money. But they all eat. They all got a place to sleep. It's a beautiful country. They're all happy. You know, the roads are nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll book the tickets. <laughs> so, you know, it's anyway. Um, no, I actually what I plan to do is uh, I. As soon as COVID is over and we all get our vaccinations, um, you guys, I mean, this is something that you brought into my world again, Graham, because I, I literally left the acting world um, kind of jaded and cynical um, because it was it was I had put all my chips into Hollywood because I was told to if I wanted to continue to have the strong representation I had. And then. And I don't mean this to discourage anyone from going into the business. Um, the arts are one of the most honorable things you can do with your life, whether it's in film, TV, theater, dance, music. It, it's one of the most honorable things you can do yeah. uh, because you're contributing back to cultural culture and civilization and you are moving it forward, you know, as long as you're responsible about it. I mean, if you're going to do, 
you know, shoot them up, bang, bang movies your whole career, then I don't know what you're contributing. But, you know, that's the redneck in me who's an artist, a redneck artist in me. It's, a, you know, <laughs> contribute. But uh, it, it really it it just and, and, and Hollywood can can drain you of that if you don't learn to play the game. And I wasn't prepared to play the game. Um, and fortunately, I had people around me that taught me the game. But after a while, it was like, you know, I, I really don't like sitting around waiting for the phone to ring. Um, and so one of my, my goals, once we get vaccinated is I'm, I'm the Cleveland playhouse here, which is world renowned has a uh, classical training. Guess who's going back to Shakespeare class. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing it or you teaching it? How does this work? Uh, no, I'm going to do it, man. I just love doing it. The hell with teaching. I'll let somebody else. I like doing it. (laughs) I just learned the seconds monologue the other day, which I love. Okay. One of many in that play, because your guys are Englishmen, so I'm sure you've read a few of Billy Bob's plays, right? <laughs> well, we've probably been forced to, but I, I yeah. think I think oh, you're far more cultured deep. than we are. Well, the <laughs> day that we all meet, you're getting a lesson. <laughs> oh, Richard, too, I did it at Colorado Shakespeare Festival with a brilliant British actor who then moved to Canada named Philip Kerr. It's the only of Shakespeare's plays that's entirely in verse. Did you know that? No. no. Well, now you do, and you get to keep your English citizenship. It's the only one that's in 100% in verse. All the others go back and forth between verse and prose, but Richard the second is all in verse. And it's magnificent. It's like a chess piece. Yeah. Chess game. Anyway, shut up, Evan. Okay. Does that make it easier to memorize? Um, no, not necessarily. No. I think I it does, but maybe for some people it works easier. Didn't you guys have to take apart some Shakespeare lines when you were, come on, I, you, you guys have great education. Didn't no. you have to scan it for iambic pentameter at all? Uh, I don't. I did mid. No. I think I did a Midsummer Night's Dream at school, but uh, it wasn't really my thing when I was that age. I think I'd appreciate it a lot more now. It's Paul, did you do anything? No. It's no, true. I don't remember any Shakespeare school, if I'm honest. Maybe I, I wasn't going to the right school. We are yeah, really. Where'd you yeah. go, man? <laughs> no. <laughs> East London voc- Vocational Technical School. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of like the San Fernando Valley Technical School, you know, learning. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, I just, uh, I want to go, I, I, you know, it's, there's a wonderful quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes about art and culture. And it's just like, you know, once, and it's not even about culture or art, it's just ideas. It's just once your mind has been expanded and exposed to new ideas of any kind, politics, economics, art, culture, you name it, auto mechanics, it can never contract again. You're always going to be aware of it. And mm-hmm. when I first started in theater, I went to a performing arts high school and, you know, it, we were warned that once you, if you will, taste the fruits of the fine arts, let alone doing fun, fun, crazy movies like Ghoulies. But once you taste that, you you never lose your taste for it. You're always into it. It's like you guys, you guys love this stuff. And I so respect the fact that you love this stuff mm-hmm. and you're never going to stop loving it. You can't. And that's the point, because your mind has been expanded by, you know, fantasy and horror and comedy. God, I hope we were funny at some point in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, and you, 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 you can't, you know, you can never go back. It changes you. It makes you aware of things. And for me, it was, I came up doing theater, which is not to look down on anything. It just, it made, it made my mind so that now every, I mean, there's not a day goes by that I don't find myself speaking in a dialect, an accent or, thinking about Shakespeare or thinking about Moliere or thinking about George Bernard Shaw or thinking about a Sam Shepard play or thinking about a movie I did. And, oh yeah, I always want to do that scene this way. I mean, I still think about these things. I still play with these things. And I'm glad to know that there's other people like you folks out there and anyone who's listening to this. They'll never lose that wonder about what if, what if, <laughs> And hopefully we can open things up again soon. It's the COVID thing that's stopping everything. And, um, you know, yeah. I can't wait to get back to the theatre because uh, I was going to go see Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In, uh, in New York. And uh, they shut the bloody thing down. And now uh, at the time I just thought, oh, it won't be for long. And now it's almost yeah. been a year. And Yeah. Yeah, I, I was in New York uh, right before COVID hit. And uh, – uh, I wanted to go see the David Byrne show mm -hmm. um, that I saw part of it. Well, now you can watch it on Netflix or something. He's put it on there, but yeah, I mean, the theater closed down, but yeah. Um, so that, and then um, uh, uh, evidently a taxi driver was telling me a few months ago when I was talking to her and she said, Oh, you just moved back. And I said, yeah, we're talking. And she said, well, this has become a big filmmaking city. Now, Hollywood has discovered Cleveland because it's got so many different unique neighborhoods and architecture. Mm. And there's a pool of really strong uh, actors here because of the theater scene here. And it's like, cool. So that's my plan. Hopefully next summer. And um, awesome. and get Lionsgate to let us make uh, uh, a grown up. <laughs> ups, and the ghoulies are. Aliens, I don't know. <laughs> I'll take anything if Definitely. Skip Carter's battling the ghoulies again. Well, yeah, definitely. And if John was here, I could just see it. He'd be like, oh, my God, Star Wars meets ghoulies. He would be. <laughs> <laughs> see, John, did you ever get to or watch an interview with him? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've seen it all. Well, if you look at John's face and you look at the ghoulies, especially <laughs> fish ghoulie, I risked my case. <laughs> I mean, I think that, that was the case with a lot of the, his little creatures, to be fair. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he had MMI Magicals Media Industries, I think was the name of his. Yeah, he changed the name a couple of times, but essentially it was always MMI, yeah. Yeah, I was there a couple of times. I was in a full body cast once there. Oh, really? For, yeah, for oh. Scanner Cop. Cause, well, oh, there's cool. a funny thing. Is three years after Ghoulies, I get hired to do Scanner Cop and a co-starring role. I think I was on it for like five days. And I walk into the first day of, and, and into the makeup room and who turns around? It's John. <laughs> His company was doing all the FX makeup on it. And I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> and we had a blast. And then if you watch the on my website, if you watch that scene where I get scanned, that's John having so much fun torturing me. <laughs> layers upon layers of prosthetic that bubbled and bulged. And those were like 16-hour days. And the last day of shooting, between every take, he would come at me with this bucket of this goo to make it look like my there was this shit oozing out of me. 
<laughs> and he would come, and it was cold. And we were filming in this old drafty building in downtown LA. And he'd come at me with this thing. And I used to like try to take steps back from him, like, please don't do that again. Please don't. And he would be just stirring it up, like, come here, Skippy. Come here. And he would <laughs> I would just stand there, like, I hate you, you know? And uh, <clears throat> that was John. He was great. I love him. Still do. Oh, his legacy certainly lives on. Yeah. Yeah. But he would just be relishing if we were like, you know, alien ghoulies. Oh my God. He would, he would go to town. He really <laughs> He was fearless that way. Fearless. He'd try anything. Oh, totally. Yeah. I didn't know that he's actually, that he, he shot a movie called Wizard Dream mm-hmm. uh, before he passed. Actually, a few years before. And I think he was kind of in post production. And I'm not sure where, where it went, but that's another one of his projects that. I'd like to see uh, the light of day, you know? Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, he told Jeremy. these things went I, with him, unfortunately. Yeah, and he told Jeremy and I that Ghoulies, the rights to Ghoulies were all tied up. And all I can assume is because Lionsgate is who I occasionally get a little $20 royalty check from them. <laughs> I'm assuming they own the rights to it. Uh, um, I think Lionsgate own three. Um, but uh, I think the rights are with Sony. Oh, last count. Yeah, it'd be great yeah. to you know get the rights from them, but I don't know how that how that works. Because um, there's any number of wonderful things you could do with it. Oh, and sure. there's a built-in fan oh, yeah. base, you know. Mm-hmm. So the movie's going to at least break even, if not make some money, <laughs> which is what Hollywood cares about. But it's, uh, you know, I just think that taking Ghoulies three, and I know it sounds selfish, but taking it. 20 years forward mm-hmm. and having Skip and Aaron be on opposite sides of, of some issue <laughs> where then they have to join forces to battle the ghoulies again. Yeah. And God knows what that is, you know, but Chuck's man to stand next to evil Aru again and look in those eyes. Oh God, help me <laughs> have oxygen on the set. Cause I'll probably faint. Yeah, well, if 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 you're going to do the presidential thing, you could always get Patrick Lebeau as like your vice president. Patrick was great. I, don't, I haven't seen him do anything in a while. He was on that Jag series for a long time, but Patrick's been doing it since he was like practically since he could walk. Mm. Um, he's been in TV his whole career, so I don't know what he's up to these days. Well, hey, gentlemen, I know it's pub time over there for you guys. Yep. <laughs> bedtime for me so, this has been great yeah. um if anybody wants to reach out and ask any questions they can i guess they can ping me on facebook there um, or they can send a message on my website or whatever but i can't thank you enough for the opportunity to relive some of this stuff because it was a lot of fun memories it was a lot of fun and i appreciate your um enthusiasm about these things i never knew i never knew <laughs> I do, thank, thank you, you so much it's awesome don't ever stop no. We shot. We shot. <laughs> make a movie. I'll come over and be in it. What do you want me to do? Fine, make a movie. Go write a movie, you two. Write a police movie. What the heck? Because remember, got one thing about it. No matter what you do, they can't take away your birthday. <laughs> make a movie. Cheers, Evan. Thank touch. you very much. All right. Thank you. So good. How is Evan? Evan's amazing. That was incredible.
I want to see the Goonies um, Go to College White House set sequel. Yes, definitely. I want to see the Naked Groupie. <laughs> Maybe not today. Maybe not now. No? Because that was oh. many years ago. Oh, you're, 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 you're implying <laughs> that she's going to be quite old now. Well, well, I suppose we all of us are, unfortunately. Yes, yes. We're all not quite as pert as we once were yeah. in 1990. <laughs> <laughs> so um, next episode, we have our Christmas episode and we have another very special guest. In fact, if it wasn't for this gentleman, uh, we probably wouldn't even be here. Wow. Yeah. Our dads. <laughs> no, but he may as well be. It's the writer and director of the original Ghoulies, Luca Bergovici. So uh, wow. don't say we uh, never give you anything, um, at least virtually. <laughs> Does Gremlins have their own podcast? Don't think so. No. Do you know why? Because <laughs> mm, it's not as good as Ghoulies. Okay, that'll do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's better than what I had, which was nothing. <laughs> Tune in to Luca Bergavici on December 26th. Done. Yep. Is that 10 minutes? Uh, 8 minutes, 54. Even better. <laughs>